This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Friday, last day of this week, talking about therapeutic hypothermia. Daphne, how are you? Yeah, I'm just struck. I'm good. I'm doing good. I'm struck that every time we think like we're just gonna pick a little a little topic, <laughs> it balloons in our face. Um, and you you're overcoming illness this week, so yeah. <laughs> I wanna. I don't want to take too much credit, but I mean. All the episodes have gone out on the day of the educational content on the <laughs> website right. is going to be released today, and uh, I'm still reeling with COVID. Um, so um, the the commitment is there, people. <laughs> we're, we're doing we're doing what we can, and and honestly, uh, that reminds me. You, uh, in addition, I think not everybody has seen the educational content that you are putting together. So basically all of the stuff we talk about all week long, um, you are cataloging into Mm -hmm. very accessible um, PowerPoints, which I think if you just want to review the material, it's there. If you work with trainees or you're teaching, I mean, uh, we, we want people to be using those PowerPoints for their own, you know, use so that we can just keep making maybe your lives a little bit easier and getting access to the information. The other thing you've done is catalog all of the trials so people don't yeah. have to look elsewhere to find it. And we're 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 bummed that we we are asking for a little, you know, donation uh for for that work just just really for overhead more than more than anything um to keep uh, absolutely. things running. Absolutely. I mean, it's like we're going to keep mentioning this over and over on the mm-hmm. podcast. We're not making money. Uh, we still <laughs> work full clinical loads uh, to make uh, to put food on the table. This is not a money making endeavor, but we do have costs when it comes to hosting the website, hosting the files, journal subscriptions, yeah. and so on. And so that's why there's a little fee uh, to access this educational content. Um, and and we're creating this because it's something that we've both wanted to have, uh, both in training and after training, where um, can somebody just like put together like the papers that everybody is yeah, talking about? Yeah, we got an email this week asking for it. And we said, aha, we do have a place for that. Exactly. <laughs> and 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 we always, we, we we talk about this where like you're, you're in fellowship, you come home, it's 8 p.m. And somebody has mentioned the Toby trial and you're like, oh, I was aware of the NICHD trial, but not the Toby trial. Let me, let me look it up. And then you go online and you, and you Google these trials. Mm-hmm. And because, because they, they didn't get published yesterday, there's like, Mm-hmm. Five, ten, sixteen papers with the name Toby trial, and you're like, which one? Which one is the one that everybody is talking about? And and it gets very difficult to quickly sort through which are the papers, and it takes some time, and then you have to pay, or maybe your institution doesn't have access to this particular journal. It's just a mess. And mm-hmm. so we're, we're we're hoping to create a repository where you could find the link directly to the articles. Um, and we wanted to create this educational content, these PowerPoints where, hey, if you've listened to the podcast, we're going to get you CME credits very soon. We're, we're finalizing some few things with the university to get people access to CME credits. But 
you're going to be able to present the the content and you won't have to prepare anything and this is also what what this small contribution gets you is that the work is pretty much done for you um and 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 that and that is the goal to be able to share this evidence and and along those lines um it's really a minimal fee it's it's about like 50 bucks a year to get access to the to the list of articles and to access the presentation that we make every two weeks mm-hmm. um but we do realize that for some it may it may still be a significant mm-hmm. amount of money and for that reason if if that is the case we've told people this already individually but reach out to us by email and and let us know and we will get you the content for free like we'll send it to you mm-hmm. our goal is not really to deprive anybody of access to this content no, because of the, money to the converse right to, to the converse <laughs> and that's why we picked a small amount of money because we thought all right people should be able to afford this but if even we're not going to make assumptions if you cannot let us know and we will like i literally will just send you the powerpoint like it's really not that big of a deal uh but uh but it does help help us keep things afloat um if you if you uh help us out so uh thank you to everybody who has subscribed and um and yeah the presentations are really neat i mean these are not like just a a pastiche of just like a bunch of stuff that i just put on the slides like there's the graphs from the different articles Mm -hmm. there's the resources like it's like you could present it within your division and i put my name on the line that the the slides will hold up um and then <laughs> it's they're really it's really good stuff and, really and then stuff. all the things that we talk about like our actual show notes are in the presenter's notes so like you can actually have if you print the notes you can actually read off the notes and have like the actual cues to to know what to say so it really makes life easy um and it's kind of cool so yeah thank you for everybody who subscribed and and we're going to mm-hmm. keep putting these out so far mm-hmm. we have four sets of topics and more to come every two weeks right every two weeks okay oh um daphna i wanted to mention something today that uh dr weiss mentioned yesterday because i feel like people may have forgotten about this and i want to make sure Mm. that we're being clear so yesterday dr weiss mentioned the helix study Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and as he was saying this i realized that we did not cover the helix study this week but we didn't, but we did discuss it on the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> journal Club was, there was a journal club this year where we did review the Helix study. It was episode 17 of the podcast. So you can go back on the incubator and listen to Journal Club, uh, to that journal club. It's episode 17. And we did review the Helix study. But for the people who just don't want to have to do all this legwork, I just want to remind people it was a study published in the Lancet that was called uh, hypothermia for moderate or severe neonatal encephalopathy in low-income and middle-income countries, a randomized controlled trial in India, Sri Lanka, and Bangladesh. And basically, it was a bit of a of a very controversial study because uh, it showed that hypothermia had not reduced the combined outcome of death or disability at 18 months. And they had even, uh, if you recall, we had discussed this on the podcast, they had mm-hmm. ri- they had written in the paper uh, that it increased the outcome of death. And so they had concluded that therapeutic hypothermia should not be offered as a treatment for encephalopathy in low-income and middle-income countries. So that's what Dr. Weiss was referring to. Go check out episode 17 of the podcast. We reviewed the whole study. Obviously, it's something to be uh, analyzed carefully because it's done in specific group of countries where their circumstances are very different from your level three NICU in Los Angeles. <laughs> so mm-hmm. so uh, you have to read the evidence very carefully and apply it whether 
it it whether it applies to you and and your and your uh, your place of practice. So this is what Dr. Weiss was referring to, um, and we did not really cover it during this week because again of the really specific low and middle income countries, and it and it looked at these three countries. So we didn't think it was as generalizable as some of these other trials. So just for clarification purposes. Perfect. Thank you. Well, let's get into the question, shall we? Sounds good. Uh, okay. So you go first today. I go first. Okay. <laughs> so this is a, a neurology question 68. And uh, the question is, during perinatal hypoxia ischemia, brain injury starts with a hypoxic ischemic, uh, ischemic insult and continues to evolve for hours after cessation of the initiating injury. There are several cellular and biochemical pathways that lead to, to neurological injury. Which of the following statements about the role of the immune system in hypoxic ischemic brain injury is true? Choice A, activated B cells infiltrate the brain, worsening brain injury. Choice B, activating, activated microglia and monocytes cause inflammation. Choice C, cytokines cannot be released in the brain, preventing a proper response to the insult. Choice D, immune mechanisms are not involved. Choice D, choice E, I'm sorry, the damaged blood-brain barrier prevents immune cells from entering the brain. Which one of these is true, Daphna? Okay. So if you've been listening this week, then you'll know that inflammation is definitely part of the response um, to hypoxic ischemic injury. So um, A, activated B cells infiltrate the brain. So, I mean, B cells help us make um, antibodies. So uh, while they're part of the immune response, um, they're not to be known, I think, activated in HIE. Uh, B, definitely microglia and monocytes, you know, they're kind of the nonspecific. They just get out there. So I definitely think B is true. Um, C and E are interesting um, thoughts. If you hadn't listened to the podcast, I think, you know, could, could it be that, uh, that, that, um, the damaged blood brain barrier prevents immune cells from entering the brain, but that's not been shown, um, to be true. And then D, um, says obviously no, no immune mechanisms are involved and that's, that's not true. So, so B. So B, yeah, that's correct. Activated microglia and monocytes cause inflammation. Um, and like you said, something we've mentioned, um, I think it was on Tuesday on the podcast, the initial hypoxic ischemic injury to the brain of newborn causes endothelial damage. And as a result, there's a dysfunctioning blood-brain barrier and recruitment of peripheral inflammatory immune cells. Inflammation is one of the most important pathways that lead to neuronal injury after hypoxic ischemic insult. Microglia, the resident macrophages of the brain, are activated and release inflammatory cytokine, for example, IL-1B and IL-6. They also release chemokines and proteases. These processes, can, these processes can lead to further cytotoxicity and damage of viable neurons and oligodendrocytes. In addition, monocytes and neutrophils infiltrate the injured brain, further aiding the inflammatory response. As you mentioned, B cells have not been reported to play a role in hypoxic ischemic brain injury. Good job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I listened to the podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, this comes from uh, the, cardi the 
neonatology review book, cardiology question 53. The NICU team attends the delivery of an infant because of non-reassuring fetal heart rate. The infant emerges without any respiratory effort and the team initiates positive pressure ventilation. As the heart rate is below 60, uh, 60 beats per minute, chest compressions are initiated and the neonatology fellow intubates the infant. Two doses of epinephrine are placed through an umbilical venous line. The heart rate improves and some respiratory effort is observed. The infant's APGAR score is zero at one minute, one at five minutes, and six at 10 minutes. The neonatology team is concerned about encephalopathy as the infant does not demonstrate any spontaneous movements. Thus, the infant is admitted to the NICU. Of note, the infant's admission blood pressure is low. I actually think this is a great vignette because it really uh, is kind of like the, a, a great clinical story for um, for having uh, a hypoxic ischemic injury. I, I agree because you it really describes well how you have the injury, you suspect mm-hmm. HIE, but then you more immediately have to deal with mm-hmm. more uh, end organ uh, issues, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the question is the most likely cause for the low blood pressure in this infant is a, uh, PDA B myocardial dysfunction, C sepsis or D surfactant deficiency. Okay. Um, right. So obviously the hypoxic injury, uh, the HIE hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy is a hypoxic injury. And, we think about this very much in terms of being a hypoxic injury to the brain, but the hypoxic injury is all around the body, right? All the organs are, mm-hmm. su- are subjected to the same degree of injury. And so um, in this in this context, it makes sense then that the, the low blood pressure in this case would be due to myocardial dysfunction. Um, and, and the other choices don't really make sense, right? A patent ductus arteriosus uh, really... Uh, wouldn't make sense in this case, considering that uh, this baby is just born and and uh, yeah, sepsis uh, could always be a cause, but it's much much less likely than this being hypoxic injury to the to the heart, and then surfactant deficiency again could be possible, but again much less likely than myocardial. Uh, um, actually, surfactant deficiency could be possible in the baby mm. with HIE, but would that cause mm-hmm. you to have low blood pressure? It's just it's just a bit of a distractor. So my answer is B, myocardial dysfunction. Yeah, so it's not uncommon for infants with hypoxia ischemia to exhibit hypotension. And actually, the causes of that are multifold, but most commonly related to a drop in cardiac output due to this myocardial dysfunction because the myocardial uh, muscle is also ischemic. So we know that the baby has protective mechanisms to bring additional blood flow to the heart during this time, just like to the brain. But this baby is clearly encephalopathic, and so um, we can assume that even the best protected organs are still suffering, and that includes the heart. Um, And then in addition, there's this endothelial cell damage to the vasculature, um, just like we see in the brain. And so um, it's very important, actually, that we maintain uh, normal blood pressures um, during hypoxic ischemic injury to avoid further cerebral uh, ongoing injury. Um, And so this is part of, you know, we talked a lot about therapeutic hypothermia, but there's so much supportive care that goes into optimizing outcomes in babies uh, with HIE um, and close monitoring um, and uh, good maintenance of normal blood pressure um, is really part of that uh, clinical management. 
Okay. Okay. All right, Daphna. Neurology question 60. A male infant is born at 39 weeks gestation by emergency cesarean section because of a non-reassuring fetal heart rate tracing. His Apgar scores are 2, 5, and 7 at 1, 5, and 10 minutes, respectively. At 30 minutes of age, the infant is alert, tachycardic, and has a normal respiratory effort. The infant's neurological exam reveals an irritable infant with dilated pupils, a weak suck, hypertonia, hyperreflexia, and an exaggerated moral reflex. The parents are concerned about the infant's long-term neurological outcome. If no additional neuroprotective measures are initiated, the likelihood of this infant having an abnormal developmental outcome at two years of age is choice A, less than 5%, choice B, 5 to 20%, choice C, 20 to 40%, choice D, 40 to 80%, choice E, greater than 80%. Okay. So uh, I got this question wrong when I was standing for the boards for sure. Um, I felt like the answer was B, 5% to 20%, but Mm. that's not correct. So you'll tell us why. (laughs) No problem. You were, you're ready to give the answer. I mean, I was, I was going to let you just see if you were going to just maybe, I was like, maybe she'll she'll explain the whole vignette to us and uh, (laughs) save me the trouble. Uh, Yeah. It's it's a very tricky question because um, the baby has clearly a sentinel event around the time of Mm -hmm. birth. The Apgars are low, Um, but it's all about, can you recognize what the neurological exam of this baby represents in terms of the degree of encephalopathy and the bottom line is that the baby that they're describing in the vignette and i'll just go over that again to to remind people is that the exam reveals an irritable infant dilated pupils weak suck hypertonia hyperreflexia and an exaggerated moro reflex that is consistent with a mild encephalopathy and for um people who need a reminder like i do um, the encephalopathy can be divided into either mild, moderate, or severe. And there's several items on that checklist that should be evaluated. So the level of consciousness, basically, either if you're normal or hyper alert, you're mild. And then as you get lethargic or obtunded, you're moderate. And then if you're in a stupor or a coma, or a coma you're severe. In terms of spontaneous activity, Normal is mild, decreased is moderate, and no activity is severe. Posture, normal is mild. Distal flexion and complete extension is moderate, and decerebrate posturing is severe. In terms of tone, normal or increased tone is considered mild. Having hypotonia is moderate, uh, whether it's focal or generalized. And then flaccidity, I'm sorry, is uh, severe. In terms of the suck reflex, um, really, if you're if you have a weak suck reflex, you're either mild or moderate, and if it's absent, you're severe. If your morrow is exaggerated, you're mild. If it's incomplete, you're moderate. If it's absent, you're severe. Your autonomic system, um, if your pupils are dilated, then it's mild. If it's constricted, moderate, deviated, dilated, or non-reactive to light is severe. Heart rate, tachycardia is mild. Bradycardia is moderate, and then variable is considered severe. In terms of respiration, normal breathing is mild. Periodic breathing is moderate and apnea is actually severe. Uh, Gastrointestinal motility, normal or decreased is mild. Increased gastrointestinal motility, that's um, 
counterintuitive is mm -hmm. moderate and then variable is severe and obviously seizures if you have no seizures you're mild possi possible seizures then puts you directly into moderate to severe so then once you understand that this baby is mild has mild encephalopathy um then the long-term outcomes are actually not that bad at two years and that's the answer is then less than five percent based on the available evidence that this baby uh, will have any form of abnormal developmental outcome at two years of age um, while there's some speculation that possible subtler deficits being detected in school-aged children. There's multiple studies that have reported that newborn infants with mild HIE have normal neurological outcomes when assessed as toddlers. And so this is also for this reason that there's this, such a big debate around mm -hmm. uh, cooling babies with mild HIE. Yeah. And I think that's actually, this question brings up two good uh, points. The first of which is, that is why there's still discussions about cooling mild babies. And we're going to get some more data um, as some of these mild cooling trials progress. And that uh, neurodevelopmental milestones at two years, maybe don't tell the whole picture either. Um, so definitely longer term follow-up of, of how these mild babies um, have some school difficulties, I think will be very valuable. The other is that the mild baby sometimes gets missed um, because they don't have that classic finding of the, you know, lethargic baby. And so, um, the mild baby may be mild initially, but is definitely at risk for progressing into worse encephalopathy um, and so needs needs uh, ongoing neurologic uh, examination. Okay. Okay. One more? Last question of the okay. day. Neurology question 63. A term infant is born by vaginal delivery complicated by shoulder dystocia. The infant requires significant resuscitation, including intubation and epinephrine. The APGAR scores are 3, 4, and 5 at 1, 5, and 10 minutes, respectively. The Accord arterial gas shows a pH of 6.98 and a base deficit of 15. Following transfer to the NICU, the infant has severe encephalopathy. An amplitude integrated EEG shows an isoelectric or severely abnormal background pattern. The neonatology team decides to initiate therapeutic hypothermia. Which of the following statements about th therapeutic hypothermia in newborns is true? A. Therapeutic hypothermia has been proven to reduce the rate of neurodevelopmental impairment among infants with mild HIE. B. Therapeutic hypothermia is associated with an increased incidence of pulmonary hypertension. C. Therapeutic hypothermia is associated with increased seizures, which is likely secondary to more infants with severe encephalopathy surviving. D. Therapeutic hypothermia is only proven to improve outcomes among infants with moderate encephalopathy. Or E. Therapeutic hypothermia reduces the risk of death or neurodevelopmental impairment among infants with moderate or severe HIE by approximately 25%. Okay. This is a question like, like you on the prior question that I got wrong when I was studying for the mm -hmm. boys. I remember that. And this review of this week is exactly what's helped me now see this as a, as a gimme. Um, mm. Because when we reviewed the cooling trial, what they were all studying were death or neurodevelopmental impairment mm -hmm. at <clears throat> whatever, 18 months, two years, mm -hmm. doesn't really matter which endpoint they were using. <clears throat> and it really was difficult for them to uh, to consistently show whether 
this was going to improve neurodevelopmental outcomes alone, death alone, but that that was never the primary outcomes of of the neonatal research network studies or the mm-hmm. Toby trial. And you reviewed that meta analysis from 2010, uh, which again we have all the the tables in the PowerPoint. So for that reason, I think the uh, the answer is clearly E. Uh, it's 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 just screams like the results of the studies that we've reviewed. Therapeutic hypothermia reduces the risk of death or neurodevelopmental impairment among infants with moderate or severe HIE, again, excluding mild, which was not included in those studies, by approximately 25%. Final answer. Very good. Wow. Don't say you never touch anything. <laughs> um, so that's exactly right. You're going to make people right. think I say that, I say that all the time. <laughs> no, you don't. We've got a pretty cordial working relationship. Mm -hmm. So um, multiple trials have shown improved outcomes for infants with moderate or severe hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy randomized to therapeutic hypothermia. Like you discussed, the most recent Cochrane uh, meta-analysis showed an overall benefit of therapeutic hypothermia with a 25% reduction in the combined outcome of death or major neurodevelopmental disability. Um, But of note, analysis of the individual components also gave similar outcomes. So uh, the risk ratio is 0.75 for death and 0.77 for major neurodevelopmental disability. Um, And then subgroup analysis where they stratified by degree of encephalopathy showed improvement um, in the combined outcome for both the moderate babies and the severe uh, encephalopathy babies. Um, and studies have very much shown a reduction in seizure burden and seizure frequency um, associated with therapeutic hypothermia. So babies who had who were cooled um, had less incidence of seizures. And then randomized controlled trials of therapeutic hypothermia for newborns were really um, designed to randomize kind of the moderate to severe HIE babies, but some of them did have a subset of infants with mild HIE that um, were included. Um, So this represents a small sample size, but in those studies, there was no significant difference in outcome between those with mild HIE who were and were not um, cooled. And that, and this goes back to the question we just did before. Also, it's it, it's it's right. going to be very hard to find differences in outcomes when their outcomes are not that bad to begin with, right? When when you're looking at a population that is at a lo- much lower risk of having neurodevelopmental impairment, to try to make an improvement on top change. of that, yeah. From a when we talk about statistics, right? Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and and so. To date, no randomized control trial has shown benefit of therapeutic hypothermia among infants with mild HIE, but we know that more studies are coming, um, specifically designed to look at babies with mild HIE. So we'll see. Um, I do think that um, uh, D, no, I'm sorry, uh, question, answer choice B um, may pot- potentially have tripped some people up about pulmonary hypertension. Mm. And so obviously there's a concern for increased incidence of pulmonary hypertension with therapeutic hypothermia. But um, in the studies, there was no statistically significant increase found when compared to controls. Um and that is babies who were not cooled. We know that um, HIE, its hypoxic ischemic injury itself, um, can predispose to pulmonary hypertension. 
common adverse events associated with therapeutic hypothermia compared to controls in the trials that we have. Definitely sinus bradycardia, risk ratio of 11.5, thrombocytopenia, risk ratio of 1.2, and subcutaneous fat necrosis occurred in uh, 1% of cases. So that's not to say that there aren't adverse effects that we see in babies who have are undergoing therapeutic hypothermia. They just weren't statistically significant compared to the controls who did not mm-hmm. get cooled. Mm-hmm. So I think that's all we had for this week. All right. Well, that was that was actually fun. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Daphna. Um, for our audience um, following the Neonatology Review Podcast, our next topic is going to be blood transfusions. Huh. You didn't uh, I didn't know. I'm springing that on you. It wouldn't. It was not my next choice for topics, but here, alas, <laughs> um, I have a reason for for this I topic, and, <laughs> and I'll let you know off air. But um, but yeah, we. I, I think it would it would be nice to look at um, blood transfusions, their history, what are the trials out there? Because I think the trials have recently, many trials have recently come out, mm-hmm. and the evidence is out there. What does it show? What do the different trials show? Do they agree with each other? Um, is there room for transfusion guidelines? What about all these transfusion-related right, gut well, injuries? Don't give it all away. It will be a very exciting topic, so that will be uh, released in two weeks. Uh, join us Sunday for an interview with uh, Dr. Holly Neville, who is a pediatric surgeon. We have mm-hmm. a great discussion mm-hmm. about um, life coaching, women in medicine, being a pediatric surgeon, collaborating with the NICU team. Um, it was a great, great interview. Um, and that's uh, it. We'll see you. We'll, we'll see you this Sunday. We have a brand new episode of Tech Tuesday coming on Tuesday this week. So we're excited about that. So uh, stay tuned. And uh, thank you for listening this week. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nicupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.